Hi there, and welcome to episode 65 of the Value Through Vulnerability podcast. I'm your host, Gary Turner, and this is a special edition for a special person, Katrina Collier, whose new book, The Robot Proof Recruiter, is coming out on the same day, stroke the following day, that this podcast is being released. So it would be great if you could all jump on Amazon or your favourite purchasing site and uh, buy this book as all of the donations, all of the royalties will go directly to um, Katrina's chosen charity. She offers so much um, insight here, not just about recruitment, HR, leadership and the world of work, but also shares vulnerably her own story and what gives her the passion and drive to run five disrupt HR events in the UK, her business researchologist, and also to contribute towards the volunteering work that she does. She truly is an inspiration For those that don't know her, connect with her, follow her. For those that do know, I hope that you enjoy the conversation and will indeed support Katrina with her new book. Welcome to Value Through Vulnerability, a podcast dedicated to putting the human back into humanity. Today I've got the amazing Katrina Collier, affectionately known as the Searchologist. So welcome to the show, Katrina. Thank you so much for having me, Gary. I'm quite honoured. Oh, I'm looking forward to you joining me today because for anyone that is listening to us and who may not know, you have a very exciting week for some reason. Would you mind introducing yourself in a bit more detail and telling us about I do, indeed. Um, on Saturday, officially, the Robot Proof recruiter will be published so we're having the unofficial book launch on friday evening and i do actually have copies of it in my hand which is quite surreal Uh, but yes on saturday out it comes out into the world to uh improve the world of well how recruiters are using technology to put the human first um but also the the royalties that are going to hope for justice which is charity means the world to me so it's like a double whammy of good that's coming out of the book so super excited oh that's amazing well let's come back to both of those points katrina as we have a, have a chat this morning but can you just give our listeners a little bit more of a background as to you so you know what, where, where does what's your history obviously worked in recruitment you now got this passion about rehumanizing recruitment where does all this come from give us a bit of a, a two where does it come from i know it's quite complicated as well because my business is completely split in two so there's the searchologist and there's the other side so i shall explain in a second so i of course fell into recruitment nobody chooses to go into <laughs> recruitment there which is i mean ridiculous when you think about it isn't it we're responsible for bringing in the people into the company to make the company a success and nobody plans that career so anyway i uh, in 2003 saw a little advertisement for trainee recruitment consultant and I'd moved here from uh, Sydney, hence the weird accent. And I'm like, okay, I can do that. Why not? Stumbling start, then finally ended up in a company for five years. Come 2008, recession hits. All of these people are appearing on LinkedIn. I'm using LinkedIn to recruit. So I'm like, maybe I should just teach companies to use LinkedIn to recruit. Yeah, that thinking was way too early. (laughs) To be honest, sometimes it's still way too early. So I then actually went in-house for a period of about 18 months. And in that time, proved to myself that I could recruit and use uh, LinkedIn and a small amount of advertising and not use any recruitment agencies. So I then came out and started teaching, which I've done quite solidly from 2012 
So it's teaching social recruiting um, and sourcing, but not just LinkedIn, all of the sites. So, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, wherever people are. And then I realized that even though I've been teaching how to get the human to reply. So rather than look, here's Gary, here's his contact details. And that's as far as it goes. I've always been focused on the, but what will make Gary reply? Because otherwise really it's pointless. So I've sort of shifted focus. Um, and now I'm just solely focusing on candidate engagement because there's lots of sourcing training out there. You know, you can Google and find out how to find somebody. I, it's, it's not complicated. It's easy to find someone's contact details. And that's the problem. There's too much spam. So then uh, I think it was March last year, Kogan Page came to me and said, would you like to write a book? Which blew my mind. So I've then spent uh, like, well, at least eight months writing this robot proof recruiter, which is amazing. So that side of the business has kind of shifted. And I now spend a lot of time facilitating sessions between hiring managers and recruiters to get them talking better and to understanding the importance of, you know, making sure that right information is out in line and how they treat people because the impact of that. Um, and also speaking, you see, as you and I met, didn't we, in Kuwait? We did. That's, that's awesome. So in terms yeah. of... I, I, it's really interesting because I, I fell into recruitment myself as well back in 2001. Nobody plans it. It's, it's hilarious. We really, all fall in. <laughs> it's really making me smile. But in terms of this sort of candidate engagement focus of yours, and of yeah. course this, I know I use the hashtag a lot, the hashtag a lot, be human. Yeah. Where did that come from for you? What experiences have you had that have really made you want to sort of humanise the recruitment process in your own way? Just seeing recruiters treat people poorly. I mean, there are just so many examples online of just re recruiter spam. I mean, if you look at recruit, the hashtag recruiter fail, recruiter spam, there's a subreddit called recruiting hell, which is so funny on Reddit. I mean, it's hilariously funny, but not. Um, so it's really just seeing examples of humans not treating humans well. And I just got frustrated with that. But to me, it's like we're in this fight for attention. Everyone calls it a war for talent. I'm like, we're not in a war for talent. We're in a fight for attention. You know, I said I was on a podcast yesterday. And in the nine, first nine minutes of that podcast, my phone rang and I got a message. It was, it was nine minutes. And I'm trying to focus on this really important thing while my phone is distracting me. So if you think about just that general noise and the fact that then recruiters create all this spam by irrelevant in-mails, um, just you know, being disrespectful of people, ghosting them and then complaining that candidate ghosts, I mean, ugh, just you know, dropping out of the process, disappearing, being disrespectful of people's time and energy and the emotion, my God, the emotion that's involved in interviewing. Um, so that's really what inspired me to just go, look, this is ridiculous. But also because thanks to the internet and latterly Google for jobs, how a company and a recruiter treat somebody is so much more important because of the online reviews and the fact that people, and, and anything else, because it could be tweets and comments and all sorts, that people can find out this stuff about a company and the recruiter, be it in-house or agency, and not want to speak to them. So it's like, I do get Gary's attention. And then he Googles me and goes, oh, that Katrina Collier is a bit dodgy. I'm not going to talk to her. You know, and that could just be because you don't like my profile picture. It could be as simple as that. It could be anything. So it's, it's a case of how are they presenting themselves as a human and as a company to actually deserve someone's time. So it was sort of this realisation that everything had shifted and changed, that 
brought about this. I, I just want to focus on this because it's so big now. A recruiter's job used to be find Gary, get in touch with him, which was often by the phone back in the day, and hook him on and hire him. It was so much easier than it is now. There's this, all this noise and then all of this transparency. You, you know, you're so you're so open to the world as a company and a human. So what's really interesting for me is there's something coming up for me as you talk, Katrina, about almost like congruence. It's actually trying to make sure actually what you see is what you get also, because there is so yeah. much. Yeah. And I think it's being, oh dear, I'm going to say the A word, authentic. Um, so it, it's actually one of my highest values. And it's really annoying because that word's because it's become a bit jaded, hasn't it? And overused. But I want people to meet me in person and go, you're exactly the same as you are online. And that's genuinely, genuine, generally even what I hear. Mm-hmm. That you're the same and that's what you should be. To a point. So I don't want you to share what you're doing in Amsterdam on the weekends. I don't want you to be, you know, a racist or a bully or any of that. That should not be visible online. Full stop, because it will impact a career. So, but other than that, just be yourself. As you said, be human. I'm all about, you know, right now we're talking, my dogs are at my feet. You know, I get to work from home and there's often photos of the dogs and my screen or whatever going out onto the world and, you know, just people talk to me about them before they talk to me about my work, which I think is what people want. They want something to latch onto. Mm. If that makes sense. No, no, it really doesn't. And how does that inform? So tell us a little bit about the book. So the robot proof recruiter come into being and what is your, what, what do you want people to take away from the experience of diving into your book? How did it come into being? I don't know. I somehow got all that stuff out of my head onto paper. No, to answer you seriously, um, I knew straight away that it was going to be called the Robot Proof Recruiter because there is such, I mean, as HR get as well, and I'm sure everyone's getting actually, to be fair, the robots are coming, the robots are going to take over, you know. And you're just going, okay, so 300 years ago when I was working in the National Australia Bank as a bank teller, um, not quite that long ago, but you know what I mean, they told me that the automatic teller machine would replace me. But there are still tellers in the bank for a mundane as transaction as going in and withdrawing cash. There is still a human being that you can go and interact with or, or self-checkout. There are people who absolutely will not use self-checkout and will go to the human being for their grocery shop. So it's okay. Now we're talking about somebody's career that a robot is going to take care of. Give me a break. There's no way, you know, that, Recruiters have such an important job. I mean, on top of bringing the right people into the company, but they're playing with people's lives. If they screw that up, that person could end up starting a job, failing, out on the street, unable to pay their bills, unable to pay their school kids' fees, you know, unable to feed themselves. If they make the mistake, you never know how that will ruin someone's life in three to six months. So it's, there's just no way. So it started from that, oh, give me a break. And then it was looking at, the way recruiters are using technology now is so wrong. They've got it all asked about face. Instead of putting the human first, they're putting the technology first. They're getting really excited because someone came along and said, oh, buy this, it can do this. And they're like, oh, bells and whistles. You know, it, and actually, I'll give you an example. It's a, a bit off, um, but how important it is to use tech that's right. Do you remember how big Nokia was? The Nokia phones, yeah. right? And they were mega mega complicated by the end they were ridiculous they had forgotten the user and they'd gone so far into the bells and whistles 
then along comes iPhone and goes, oh, this is how Katrina can use this phone with such ease. And everybody switched to iPhone. And now they've switched on to other things for sure. But it, like that initial surge was because they put the human first instead of going, oh, but the technology can do blah, blah, blah. They just made it easier. And I think this is this thing with a lot of the robot proof recruiters. Use your, if you don't want to be replaced on the transactional side of stuff, and, and again, this is also written for high, uh, sorry, it's not written for high volume. It's written for people who are in demand, who get bombarded by recruiters. But it's pull out all of the human skills. Pull out your empathy. Pull out your, your vulnerability, if you will. Pull out listening skills and, and put that, make that person feel like they matter. The technology is not going to be able to do that for a very, very, very long time. So other way. It's, it's so, so powerful. I'll give, I'll give, give you another example from my side, actually. As we speak, Katrina, is really interesting, mm. is that I'm close to a few work organisations where they're running multiple concurrent technological projects, new SAP, new JD Edwards, new yeah. implementation, all concurrently, because it's been promised to the shareholders that this will be done by X date, with no care at all for the impact on the human beings having yeah. to implement those. So I think regardless of where you sit in the sort of life cycle of an employee, yeah. This first human second is prevalent. Oh, I know. I had a recruiter. I, I, she has um, that RSI, repetitive strain injury. So every single click matters for her because every single one hurts. Mm. And they implemented a new applicant tracking system and she had to click five more times per thing, like per applicant. It was ridiculous. Like, I mean, yeah, one of the big ones. And not only that, I then picked up the iPad, much as I, I don't know how many people use those anymore, and tried to actually apply for a job. And it just went into this ridiculous loop. Like it hadn't even been connected through. So there were umpteen people who'd not even been able to apply. You could see where they dropped off the process because of the technology. So it's like one for recruiters, very important to step through the whole process to make sure it's working. But also a lot of the times the people creating the technology do not have a recruitment background. So you'll have a couple of developers had a really bad experience one day being recruited. So they went and created technology and go, oh, this is the answer. And it's not. So that's another thing I talk about in here is like, please make sure that whoever is providing the technology either has recruiters advising or was a recruiter. So they really understand the job because the job isn't as simple as people think. So that's another side of it. Mm, that's, that's really, that's really interesting. One of the themes of this podcast is around inclusion as well. So like getting the right voices, the right insights into the yeah. room is what I'm hearing yeah. you talk about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, actually, you'll love this. So there's a, a beautiful section, which I basically crowdsourced because the last time I did an intake strategy session, it was, I need click view, I need billions of rows of data, and they need to be able to speak business and tech. That was it. Like, that was my job description. And it was repeat, 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 repeat. That's exactly what I was hiring. And the entire intake strategy session is about sitting with that hiring manager and really finding out what they need from a, what problem is that person going to solve? And Steve Levy, Maisha Cannon, Tanji Pettis helped me write this chapter. But there's also, it then spins into like going from there. Why can't, so I'm actually looking at the pages to cheat a little bit, but what about disabled workers? What about this generational typecasting? What about job share? What about return to workers? What about vets? What about refugees? What about ex-offenders? And just really slapping it back and going, so take uh, ex-offenders. 
by having the tick box that says, um, do you have a criminal conviction? 70% of companies will say that they will discriminate against that application. But if you get rid of that box, you can discover things like 50% of people who have a criminal conviction in the UK are for driving offences, and only 8% of people with a criminal conviction actually went to jail. So you kind of go, well, they're going to work in London, they're never going to have to drive for us, what difference does it make? So it's like, really, for most companies, they could get rid of that box, and there is a, a ban the box campaign. So it's, you know, are you being inclusive? What, what sort of things, um, oh, I was laughing, here you go. This is not even related to job description my passport has been, is in the process of being renewed. Can't think of anything more terrifying than not having your passport, but anyway, we're doing that. And on Monday, I'm laughing as I'm filling the form out and it says, do you need this in braille? Tick this box if you're visually impaired. And I just went, well, that's helpful, isn't it? There's no audio option. So the blind person would have to have somebody with them filling out the form, they couldn't do it themselves. So it's that kind of a thing. Is your, are your job descriptions, can people with dyslexia read them? Is the font a good font? Should it be a different color? Do you have audio options? You know, what are you offering? Can people get to your door? Have you actually sort of walked it through and gone, can they actually physically get in the building? Or is it there's three steps and no, some people can't get in. So it's, it's been a fascinating journey writing this book. Some of the stuff you discover and then the companies that are doing it so well, of course, are highlighted in there. That's absolutely, you're blowing my mind, Katrina, because oh. <laughs> I've, never, I've never heard anybody, literally anybody, I've been in recruitment myself many years ago now, talk mm -hmm. about the recruitment process with genuinely such humanity. It's really, really fascinating. Yeah, I, but it is. It's, that's what we do it's people moving people into new jobs but we we lose that um actually there's a brilliant bit at the beginning where i talk about because i of course i had to use all of those buzzwords didn't i <laughs> um i had to put a caveat in there i'm not sure i'm going to be able to find it in time for the uh for this um Oh, can I read this little bit? It's just too good, sorry. HR and recruitment industry jargon removes the human from the equation. People are not an acquisition, passive talent, active talent, human capital, a resource, a candidate, in-demand talent, talents, unicorns, purple squirrels, targets, perfect fits, and other worse, dysphemisms. I can't say that. <laughs> I've written a word I can't say uh, that I would prefer not to repeat. Um, nor are recruiters or sources, job whisperers, talent magnets, unicorn hunters, career matchmakers, career whisperers, or headhunters. Recruiters are also people helping other people secure their next job, contract, or project. It's like, could we? But of course, I had to use those words because it's like, well, this is the candidate journey. This is the interviewee. This is the applicant. I had to use the words, but I wanted all the time for the recruiter or the hiring manager reading this book to go, the human being behind this process who has feelings and emotions it's, all the time. It, it's so, so powerful because going back to what you spoke about earlier on, Katrina, is that point, and I love what you said, that mm. not only are you dealing with the candidate who's looking to make quite a major life choice like moving house or mm -hmm. any other major life choice, yeah. they might have family attached. They might be moving location. They might be moving to a different county. Like that is so not at front of mind with any recruitment consultant I've dealt with in 20 years, if I'm honest. No. I mean, I think certainly on the agency side, it is much more, you know, you've got 
ridiculous KPIs to hit and this pressure and you're not billing. And, you know, I mean, it was hilarious that the last agency I was at, I was one of their best, best billers for five years and the recession hit. And I had multiple, I have 40 contractors across a diverse range of companies and they all just stopped recruiting. So, cause I hadn't actually had to do any business development for years. So of course, all of a sudden I couldn't do any, I wasn't billing. And my team leader was talking to me and the next two up the uh, food chain were not talking to me. They just stopped talking to me. And actually, can I just pivot? Cause I haven't talked about the other side of what I do. And actually this segues beautifully into this. So having had an experience of like that, where I didn't have a HR department to go to, to say, my bosses aren't talking to me because I'm not billing because it was all about bombs on suits. And my exit interview was, Oh, we hear you're leaving. That was it. Like in the left. <laughs> and what, there was no Katrina has been one of our best billers for five years. She's leaving. This is a problem. Why is she leaving? Um, and then, I mean, previous to that in my career as well. So, once I started teaching HR, realizing that HR didn't suck in the way that I thought they did. Sorry for listeners, I've offended. I, of course, decided to bring Disrupt HR into London, which, of course, you are speaking at shortly. Um, I spoke at the one in New York, realized I could bring this over, and I wanted to give HR the opportunity to be heard, all of those in and around the world of work but break in to the formal players who like the CIPD, you know, they want experienced speakers. They don't want new speakers a lot of the time. So I wanted to create something that would launch speakers, which it has done. I um, mean, hence my business ended up split in two <laughs> because of, it took over, didn't it? I now run five of them. Um, but it's, again, it goes back to the humanity and like, there are people doing so much good. We need more people to know that these people are doing good. Like this, let it be heard and inspire others to go, oh, I want to do that, my company. And it doesn't need to be like this anymore. It's so beautiful. You know, you look at what you're doing with your charity work, the, the, the passion you're showing, trying to create voices via Disrupt HR, mm. you know, your new book, Ro Robot Proof Recruiter. Where does all that come from for you as Katrina, that drive to really make the world fair, to be inclusive? Is there something... Yeah. Was there something yeah. to in life? Was there something what's going on? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, it, it comes from child abuse. So I was emotionally and physically abused as a child. Um, interestingly, uh, by my mother, who I hopefully won't hear this podcast, um, who, which is unusual, but my mother had been through some very traumatic stuff herself. And by the time I come along as child number four, she just wasn't emotionally in a place to, co to cope. So I would sort of try and speak up and I was always told, shush, shush, shush. And then I was crying out for help. And my father didn't hear me. My father didn't protect me. And then there are four children in silos, not supporting each other. So we all went through the same physical and emotional abuse, unable to support. So if you look at everything I do, one, freedom is extremely important to me. Free to do the stuff that makes me sit up and I love. And free to travel and free to work wherever I want. I mean, I was sitting in Zambia writing the book. It was amazing. Um, on the edge of a river at Victoria Falls going, oh, my God, this is insane. Um, and obviously, we were in Kuwait, weren't we? Like, freedom just crucial to Kuwait. So that's important to me. But being to be able to speak and to be heard. And to me, they're two different things because you can speak and not be heard. So that and to launch other speakers so they can be heard. And of course, that has built community. So I've got a massive recruitment community and a massive HR community, which all support each other. And, you know, I love it when people keep coming back to disrupt HR all the time, because to me, it's a community. And I, I, where, whichever city I'm running it in, I want people to keep coming back, coming back and, you know, support each other and support the new speakers and then get up and speak themselves like you're going to be doing. So it's, 
it, it does come from that. Um, I have worked through my stuff. I'm now very grateful that I had those formulative years because it blows my mind what I can achieve now because I, I've got the strength from that and the resilience from that and the determination from that to go, no, these are my values. Um, and a lot of that, again, also comes from um, Dr. John D. Martini, The Values Factor. I cannot recommend that book enough. I think everybody should work out what their values are and work in their values. Just literally go, these are they. I, it will be the stuff that you will literally drop everything else for. <laughs> you know, do my accounts get done? No, of course not. They're boring. Oh, I get to speak and I get to get others to speak. I'm over here. Um, and again, going back to the charity work and how that fits in. So through having Disrupt HR, so actually it started with Ian Pettigrew, of course, creating Connecting HR Africa, team of HR professionals and me ringing in, going out to Africa in 2016 to help the carers of the street kids. And it was extremely healing for me personally. Um, and just wanting their stories to be heard and wanting to be able to raise more money to transform these children's lives. And then, so being able to use Disrupt HR, the sponsors donate directly to Retrack and now for Hope for Justice. And again, it's, it's all about they're being heard, they're being heard, they're being seen, people are giving more money, it's transforming lives. Um, and of course, now as they're part of Hope for Justice, London is the global hub of people trafficking. So the kids, are, Retrack is stopping the flow of kids into the slums by the work they do empowering in the outreach centres, so empowering the wives of the mothers with parenting skills, um, and through a lot of the work we've done out there, which we, I've been at twice now, but there's a team that goes out every year, stopping the flow of kids into the slums, which stops them being trafficked via London, wherever they end up. So it's like, it just brings it full circle for me. Um, and the royalties from the Robot Proof Recruiter are also going to Hope for Justice. So every purchase, you are changing somebody's lives, even more than you're changing the people in the recruitment process's lives. No, well, thank you, Katrina, for everything you're doing. It's absolutely amazing. And I remember, um, you know, we had an amazing chat where we were in <laughs> for a good few about hours. mocktails. <laughs> With a good few hours, which is amazing. But, but no, really, I just think, you know, you, you are so humble though. You know, we had a chat before you came onto this podcast, sort of saying, I don't know why people are so interested in me. Like, you need to, <laughs> I don't know, but, no, but genuinely, I'm putting that out there for you because yeah. I think it's, it's a lot, your humility is what's so attractive about what you're doing. Yeah, I feel because people I mean, want to buy into that. I think because I'm just, I, we have a really interesting climate at the moment, right? Politically, and I'm not going to go into it because I don't want to go into it. But if you look at the big players, including our current Muppet, there's a lot of self-loathing that drives those people, and so therefore they tear down other people to make themselves feel better. And and I was like that, so I come from. Oh, I'm about to cry. Um, a complete place of lacking self-worth because mm -hmm. from such, from three years of age, when the first big, big beating happened, I was made to feel worthless. So once I worked through that and got to a place of self-love, self-compassion, self-care, actually it all became really, really easy. I just now see people for people and I just treat everybody the same. If you're an asshole to me, you can go away. If you're lovely to me, you can stay. It's not complicated. And it doesn't matter to me who you are. I just, it, it literally doesn't matter. That's how I just treat everyone. But because I'm so at peace, because I've done the work, because I didn't want to say 
in this awful self-loathing state, which is just, it's really funny because I used to go, you you'd go to an event or whatever, a party, whatever it might be, and you would just know that people wouldn't like you. And I would try so hard to be like that people would be even more repelled. It's funny when you find the self-love and the self-compassion, you just walk in somewhere and people like you and you don't even think about it. You don't think about whether you will or you won't be. And I think that's what you're talking about. But it's interesting. Someone was telling me that when I speak on stage, I'm like really, really confident. And then I do this vulnerable thing, but I don't know that I'm doing it. I don't even know what I do. He couldn't even explain it to me. He goes, you just, you get so real that you're like really vulnerable. And we talked about like sending the book in, didn't we? How that was really vulnerable. It's, it's huge. But the thing is, we spoke both in Kuwait, but also previously as well. Adan. And what I'm getting through you through the screen as we talk now, and this might resonate with some of our listeners, it's the energy. Yeah. The point mm -hmm. is, it's energy. And if yeah. you're giving off an energy of presence and liking yourself, as we discussed before, you know, I was bullied psychologically, physically, age 12, 13. Yeah. We, we let those stories define us or we don't. And when you yeah. don't anymore, that's when everything opens up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was amazing. I did uh, Dean Martini's Breakthrough Weekend. I think I told you about that in Kuwait. And it's this, it is really intense. And he is Marmite. Some people hate him. Some people love him, right? I, I'm not sure. However, I lost 44 years of resentment to my mother. It went like that in that weekend. Because he gets you to see, one, that you have all of the traits. We all have the traits. So whatever trait my mother was throwing at me, I own that trait. I've used that trait. And it benefits and it doesn't benefit that person in that moment of you using that trait. It's like a mind-blowing stuff. But it makes you see that from your voids come your values that are your greatest strengths. And you become at peace with it and very accepting and go, ah. And it's literally, I think, any time you're in a situation where you're like, why on earth is the world throwing shit at me? Ask yourself what the lesson is. What's the lesson here? What am I missing? Actually, a really interesting story. A friend of mine broke her leg really badly. And this particular person puts everybody first, her kids first, her job first, her husband first, her band first, everything. And the leg isn't healing and it's not healing and it's not healing. And I knew why it wasn't healing, but it was up to her to learn that. So I said to her, what is the lesson? And the second she realized no self care, she only had to acknowledge it. It started healing. The doctor was mind blown because they thought they were going to have to go in and put pins in. And it was just, learn your lessons and that's what you know you've done and I've done and it's it creates such light when you do that that you you can go on and then also scare yourself by being really vulnerable and writing a book and and um it was we were talking about this before when the moment I it's really funny stand on a stage for 45 minutes and share your opinion is one thing right blog around the you know the good scene around the world is one thing but to put it into, actually, I don't even know how many pages it is. 244 pages, plus a few at the beginning. And send it out into the world as an actual book. I don't think I've ever felt so vulnerable in my life. But if I hadn't done the work, I couldn't have done it. And when I sent it in, I was sobbing. And when I sent it to uh, specifically Troy Hammond in uh, New Zealand to review, because he is, um, I would not swear too much. He doesn't give a shit. He'll tell you. Like, if it was crap, he'd have told me. And um, he has a hashtag zero F U, et cetera. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. So he's known for that, but it, then I felt very vulnerable, but actually now I don't, I feel really confident about it because I've had such good feedback, but it's like, that is, yeah, the most vulnerable I've ever felt, but without the work and the self worth, 
I wouldn't have been able to be that vulnerable. Yeah, amazing. So you, you are, and I hope you listen back to this podcast at least once because you'll hear why people love what the work you do, Katrina, seriously. I know, have we run over like the 30 minutes? I'm it's sure I'm just like, oh, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I've got no okay. idea. I've lost track. It's, fine. <laughs> it's totally, totally fine. No, but I think what you're sharing is so important. You know, we're looking at the impact you're trying to make through your different mediums, yeah, through your disruptive yeah. class, through your chari- charity work, et cetera. But fundamentally, yeah. you are evidencing, role modeling that congruence of yeah. the world is every, it's completely open as long as yeah. you have your own thinking. If you think you're not good enough, you won't be. If you think yeah. you are, you will be. Like, it's that yeah. straightforward now. Well, it's, we, ha- we have this whole um, misconception around the ego as well. So everyone thinks, oh, it's all about, oh, you better not have a big ego. But that, no, the ego is that little voice in your head where I'll say, okay, Gary, I'm going to put you on stage at Disrupt HR and your little voice in your head will go, oh, no, no, you can't do that. Oh, my God. Because its job is to keep you safe and small. Mm-hmm. But the more that you go... Uh, I mean, I've done a video on this before, which you might have seen, or I just sort of went, don't argue with that little inner voice that's trying to keep you small. Just go, well, isn't that interesting? And what about the time that? And you give it evidence to the contrary. And Michelle Zelli, who is my therapist stroke coach, who has helped me lose all of this, it gave me that technique. And it's amazing. Often my little voice doesn't even pop up and tell me I'm not capable of something now. Because you just go, well, isn't that interesting? But what about blah, 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 blah. And it's... So you can then step out of your comfort zone. And yeah, by the way, with Disrupt HR, if you are a first-time speaker, I'm more than happy to have you speak because it's actually easier for a first-time speaker to do a five-minute than an experienced keynote to do a (laughs) five-minute. It's weird like that. (laughs) Are you actively looking for speakers at the moment for any of your five events at the moment, Katrina? Definitely not London. Um, Maybe next year's. Oh, God, no, not London. In-house HR. Yes, for London, but next year, because I, I literally this year's booked out. Um, but for York and Newcastle, I am. Uh, and the next Cambridge, which actually I must get live online. It's not up. Um, and Bristol next year. So the next one's booked. So awesome. always open, but I need in-house more than I need consultant. Amazing. I, well, I put us on that side. We're on the other. Oh, no, you're this one on the inside, but you're kind of consultant as well. Actually, you're a hybrid. <laughs> I'm just odd. We know that. We know that already. <laughs> we, we know that already. And in, in terms of your um, charity work as well, with Hope for Justice, yes. etc., how could other people potentially get involved in that as well if they wanted to support you, as well as buying the book, because there'll be some proceeds from there. In terms, yeah. Of- well, obviously, buy the book for your entire team and all of your hiring managers. So don't just buy a copy and share it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny how many people said, "Oh, I'm going to buy a copy and then pass it around." I'm like. You're doing what? It reminded me of back in the day with vinyl when we'd take a, a vinyl copy and put it on a cassette and go share it with your friends. Like, no, no, please don't do that. Um, I am getting nothing from this book. But it also, because it is such a gritty manual, people will want their own copy because you'll end up writing on it. It's that kind of a book um, with post-it notes sticking out of it. It's not a, a novel. It's a, like a uh, gritty manual. Um, so, yes, that will help. Um, the more you attend to Disrupt HR, the more I can get sponsors. So if you just want to come and hear some amazing, fresh thinking on HR and the world of work. And they are fun and vibrant, the five I run. They're very, <laughs> they're like me, they're a bit mad. Um, I mean, London's is in a nightclub, for goodness sake. You know, it's so cool. Bring it on, HR in a nightclub. Um, or, of course, if you want to go out and work with the carers, we're always looking for, you know, HR coaching, uh, learning and development kind of skills to go out and work with the carers of the street kids. That work, 
oh, it's so impactful. From going out in 2016 and then back to Kampala in 2018 and seeing how that team had gone from not really cohesive to very cohesive was mind blowing. So if you have those kind of skills, um, I would speak to Ian Pettigrew is probably a good place to start as there will be teams organized. You have to apply and you do have to raise 2000 pounds and pay your airfare, which is usually around 600 um, to go out and do this. And it is a week that will change your life. It's amazing. Well, it, you've got me buzzing about it. So it's something I'm going to seriously look at myself, to be honest. Oh, come um, with us next year. We're going to Cambodia. So yeah, I'm going to seriously evaluate that. That looks yeah. Well, I, I really want to go to Cambodia. I was meant to go to Ethiopia, but something told me I needed to be in London. So I'm sadly not going, but there's a big team going. Um, and a lot of them have heard about it via Disrupt, which as well. So it's like, oh, it's even, it's all, it's all amazing. It's like, you don't, uh, I actually wrote that in the beginning when I was, uh, the book, when I was talking about why the royalties are going to hope for justice. Again, I'd not realized how if you just walk your talk and you just do your thing, you actually inspire other people. So it's just like, Ian had inspired me to go and then I've inspired other people to go and then they're all raising thousands of pounds and you start realizing how if we all do this small thing like the snowball impact that we can have and you know in Africa so because it's that's where I've been with um, connecting HR Africa and uh, hope for justice straight retract whatever you want to call them um, it, it's such a small amount of money it makes such a massive difference so, for example, we bought them some sewing machines, the old manual sewing machines. I always do that movement where you're trying to get the kickboard to go <laughs> to power it. And they're 70 quid. I mean, what's 70 quid to us? A night out? Like, but that, the, the street kid or child getting that has to learn to sew and has to build a business and can create an income that can sustain an entire family. So we met a girl who had done exactly that she'd received one of these sewing machines and had to sew. She'd had a disabled or has a disabled child. She's now supporting herself and her child because her parents have passed, her grandfather and her sisters and their kids. And you're going, that's all from one sewing machine. So the amounts of money we raise are just monumentally life-changing. Um, for example, the two-year program that the children go through where it's to get them back to a safe and loving home and it's absolutely nothing like an orphanage. It's only 330 pounds for one child through the entire two years. And the amount of people that are involved in the support, this includes parenting skills, social services, you know, counseling, you name it. It's 330 quid. It's like nothing to put one child through the two year program. Amazing. So. Wow. Well, I could talk to you all day, as you well know. Yeah, I know. We've gone way over half an hour. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm consciously... Well, amazingly, my doorbell hasn't rung. <laughs> <laughs> Just for anybody that's listening, there's two deliveries Katrina's waiting for. Yeah, and the dogs haven't barked. <laughs> it was meant to be, Katrina. It was meant to be. It was, it was. So, so do you want to let our uh, listeners know just how to find you? Which are the best contact mediums if they want to follow up with you? Head to Google, type my name in, Katrina Collier. <laughs> like, literally, I'm all over it. It's quite extraordinary. I have an unusual name. Anyone else who has an unusual name will feel for me as well. Like, watch what you do out there. Um, it's hilarious. But, yeah, there, I mean, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you name it. I'm everywhere. Katrina at thesearchologist.com as well i mean the website's thesearchologist.com which actually explains all the bits so um but i'm super excited about the future i i'm very much hoping that off the back of this book i can do a lot more facilitating sessions there doesn't seem to be anybody that's really 
getting the hiring managers and the recruiters cohesive enough. So I'm quite excited to head that direction as well. So amazing. Well, look, all the best for your book launch. Thank I'm very happy I will see you there and have a fantastic day. Yeah, I'm going to send you a train ticket in a minute. You are coming down. <laughs> have a great day, Katrina. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Bye. Wow. Just wow. What a conversation with Katrina. Um, what did you take away from the conversation? What resonated? What would you challenge? Uh, Katrina and I would love to hear from you. If you wouldn't mind sharing your feedback, um, what resonated with you by any range of media. Uh, you find me at Gary Turner Zero. That's Gary with two R's on Twitter or on LinkedIn. You can find Katrina's details in the show notes of this podcast. I just really want to say thank you again to Katrina for all she does, for all the giving, support and uh, love and care she offers to, uh, to all those people around her and with uh, anybody that comes into contact with her. I think just a couple of the, the big key takeaways that I want to share with you are this one around that we're not, we don't have a war for talent, we have a war for attention. Oh, Gary Vaynerchuk, whether you love or hate him, has been speaking about that for a while, that it's all about attention. Um, so very, very, very interesting um, comment that, and I think certainly one that's worth all of us considering. Um, I also just love the humanity of what Katrina is trying to achieve in the world. You know, I, I really did was in recruitment, and I really did have an awful time. I remember when my very, very first training was, and it was back in 2001, but clearly it's not changed much, was look at everybody that comes through the door as a bag of money. That was literally my first day's training when I worked for a certain recruit, high street recruiter. They were, they were agency, but nevertheless. So yeah, pretty, pretty bad. I really enjoyed her talking about the fact that there are people doing so much good work. We need people to know that they're doing good work. This really does challenge, you know, that the existing paradigms, the fear-based media and fear-based leadership that still does prevail too much. It is changing. I'm sure that you, the listener, can sense it. I can certainly experience it and sense it firsthand. Um, we really do need to make sure that the great people like Katrina are known far and wide, that we uh, can all lift each other up. I love her talking about the fact that she operates from a place of self-love, self-compassion and self-care. And she references the comment around self-worth as well, which is such an important point. I had no idea what self-worth even meant um, until two years ago when I went on a, a power question uh, events thanks to Perry Timms with the team at World Blue I only started to learn about self-worth and what that actually the impact that that has and indeed something that Tracy would say is that our self-worth is not directly linked to our net worth very 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 important point and finally always ask yourself what the lesson is this is quite spiritual for anybody that's listening this is about energy this is about the universe it's something that's bigger than all of us whether you like to hear that or not just think about the times that your gut or you sense that your heart was trying to tell you something. How often have you listened to it and it not be right? I'm still trying to find the one time that it's been fundamentally wrong in my own life um, when I reflect on that. So always ask yourself what the lesson is. Deal with the lesson. Deal with the emotion. Let it come through you and then crack on with the rest of your life. Because it's a very, very short time that we have to, uh, to impact the world while we're here. So have fun. Hope you love this conversation. I can't wait to uh, celebrate with uh, Katrina. This evening, when this podcast goes out on the 2nd of August 2019, and we do hope you support her, connect with her, and uh, all the very best for now until episode 66. Thanks very much, and this is Gary Turner, your podcast host.